You are listening to the very first episode of the Backstage Cowboys podcast. Stand by music and go. Hello everybody, my name is Claude Vien and this is the Backstage Cowboys podcast. Now I'm not talking about the cowboys running cattle in Calgary. I'm referring to the hardworking people who make up the backbone of show business. I'm talking about technicians, designers, producers, directors, electricians, riggers, carpenters, makeup and dress artists. I'm talking about all the people who make the show happen. All of them. Yes, I'm also talking about the guy who mops the stage, the girl who sells the tickets, the team that cooks and serves the food for the crew, the driver who takes the artist to the venue, the night watchman, the security people, the firemen who make sure a disaster doesn't happen, and many, many more. These are the people I call the backstage cowboys. Why? Well, because they don't do things the way normal people do. Have you ever heard the expression, the show must go on? Well, there's more to it than just an expression. The show must go on means that it must go on no matter what. Whether it is logical to do so or not. Whether it makes sense or not. Even if it requires doing things you would not do in normal life. Don't try this at home, folks. We only do it if we have to. When there's no other solution. Well, when the show must go on. In other words, pretty much every day. You wouldn't believe the incredible stories these people have to tell. I've heard many of them from years of working in the business, touring, setting up, tearing down, making it happen no matter what. The incredible stories that are told during long drives between shows, in the dressing rooms, at the bar in the middle of the night, on the plane, on the train, during lunch break, and so on. I have decided to create a space where all these stories, anecdotes, and experiences are told and broadcasted so they can be shared with the general public. You know, those who don't normally have access to the backstage world. But mostly, I am doing it for those who aspire to become one of those backstage cowboys. I'm talking about students, beginners, newbie stagehands and technicians, the ones us old farts refer to as greens. On the following episodes of the Backstage Cowboys podcast, I will be calling up these cowboys with a list of questions. But after asking the first question, which will probably be, how are you doing, there is no guarantee as to where that will take us next. There are no rules on this podcast, so whatever happens, happens. Well, that's not totally true. Uh, no discrimination, hatred, or racism will be tolerated on this podcast. Other than that, we do what the fuck we want. So, where did the Backstage Cowboys podcast idea come from? Well, it's been at the back of my head for quite a few years now. It all started in a sound and lighting shop on a Friday afternoon. Friday afternoons uh, for shop people is a layback time when we open a beer and a bag of potato chips, sit back and chat about everything and anything. 
Now, don't get the wrong idea. Sometimes the afternoon starts at 8 p.m., and more often than not, never happens at all. But once in a while, we do get a break, or what we call a dead weekend. Now, just imagine having the old farts who have done thousands of shows and events chilling with the shop newbies and technicians. Imagine the conversations. I have often thought of recording these conversations and making a radio show out of them. But, of course, radio shows are not my thing, so I kind of set the idea aside along with all the other kooky ideas I've had over the years. But then I found out about podcasting, thanks to all the hours I spent crammed up in an airplane economy class seat. Just to put you in the picture, at the time when I was touring, I weighed about 280 pounds. Sitting on a plane was not a pleasant experience for me. What insulted me the most is when the flight attendant asked me to tie my seatbelt. I said, don't rub it in, okay? If you can't see it, it's tied. It's in there somewhere. And besides, what's the big deal with the seatbelt anyway? I'm so jammed up here. Even if we should fly upside down, I will remain stuck here. Once I dropped a dollar on the floor, I had to leave it there. There's no way in the world I could possibly bend over and pick it up. When you're stuck in an uncomfortable spot like that for hours, you start thinking of a way to distract yourself. I couldn't even open up my laptop from lack of space, so I started playing around with my smartphone and discovered the podcast application. Then I would download a bunch of episodes at the airport and listen to them during the flight. I'm not a very good sound man, but I do know enough to be able to record a decent podcast from all the years I've spent in a recording studio trying to make it as a composer. Oh, by the way, this is a common thing, okay? You wouldn't believe the amount of frustrated musicians working as stage technicians. One time I heard a sound man ask one of the techs who was coiling cable to go on stage and hit a few notes on the piano just to check if the signal was coming in. The guy sat down and played like a god. I think he was even better than the artist that was playing that night. So anyway, here we are. Uh, in this first episode, I will be in interviewing uh, myself. <laughs> there are two reasons for that. Um, first, since I will be conducting all of the future interviews, I thought listeners might want to have an idea of who the hell I am and what my background is. The second reason is that it serves me as a good rehearsal so I don't mess up when I'll be interviewing somebody important. So here we go with the first interview, my humble self. As I said before, my name is Claude Vien. I'm a 53-year-old French guy from Montreal, Quebec. At the moment, my job is Light Product Specialist at AVL Media Group, a Canadian distributor of professional sound and lighting products. Before that, I was director of the lighting department at Clota Focus in Montreal for three years. Before that, I was a freelance lighting designer, programmer, and technical director. So, one would think that my background is all lighting, right? Well, in reality, it's a little more complicated. In the early 80s, I was working as a computer operator. I was making good money for the time, and I managed to pick up a second-hand set of speakers, an amplifier, and a mixer. In my head, that made me a sound man. <laughs> yeah, sure. Anyway, time went by and I became a computer technician and kept doing gigs with my speakers and started fooling around with anything that had to do with the technical side of live shows. That takes us to the 90s. By that time, I had gotten married, bought a house, had two kids, and figured it was about time I had a serious job. 
So I became a financial advisor following my father and grandfather's footsteps. After seven years of that, I started to realize that following my father's footsteps might not be right for me. Maybe because he wears size 9 and I wear size 13, who knows. Anyway, one day my best friend, who was head of the computer department for a large engineering firm, pops up at my office and says, I'm producing this band with youngsters and I need a hand to get them off the ground. I said, are you crazy? He says, yeah. Well, the week after, we were both on the road doing his gigs, and that's how my lighting career started. We had no money for equipment, so we built everything in my shed. Spots, dimmers, consoles, electrical panels, special effects. He'd think of something, and I'd figure out a way to get it done. I knew a bit about electricity, thanks to my father. You see, when I was about 12, my father and I were working on his country home. At one point, he had to go up in the attic to do some electrical connections for the new room we had just built, but he didn't fit through the hole, so he sent me up there and explained what needed to be done. And that's how I learned how to make electrical connections, which came in handy in making my friend's young band's tour a success. When that adventure was over, my friend went on to become a successful real estate agent while I pursued my career as a lighting technician. At first, when the tour ended, I kind of wound up with nothing ahead of me. I was considered a misfit because I had been doing things my own way but didn't have much knowledge of the industry standards. I had mouths to feed and a mortgage to pay, so I went knocking on the door of the rental company we would get our sound gear from and asked them for a job. They had me repairing cables at the back of the shop for $9 an hour. Two weeks later, I was on the road doing setups and teardowns at $14 an hour. A year later, I was head electric and lightboard operator at $18 an hour. Then I caught another tour and uh, away I went. It wasn't long before I was in the circuit and started to make real money. Throughout the years, I did thousands of tour shows, one-nighters, corporate events, festivals, and even film shootings. I worked in every condition you can possibly imagine, from luxurious hotels to muddy, rainy festivals, 30 below outdoor events, arenas, TV studios, film studios, classy theaters, and church basements. I had the opportunity to light up a whole bunch of stars and legends, from the Beach Boys to Tom Cochran to the Pointer Sisters to Little Richard to Martha Wash, and that's only to name a few. Oh. For those of you who don't know who Martha Wash is, listen to this. That is who Martha Wash is. <laughs> Man, what a performance. I remember her manager asking me if I could do strobes and lightning effects when she sings It's Raining Men. I told him, with all due respect, dude, I've done this song so many times, I probably know it better than you do. I think I got this. <laughs> okay, no. I didn't really say that, I'm not that arrogant, but it was a great moment for me. Once in my life, having the original singer of It's Raining Men right in front of me. Oh, and Little Richard, he was 72 at the time, and gave a wicked performance. He even climbed up and stood on the piano at the beginning of the show, with the help from one of the backstage cowboys, of course. <laughs> but that was not an easy show for me because of technical problems that set up. The whole kit turned on about 10 minutes before doors opened to the public. So programming the lights was kind of out of the question. <laughs> I had to wing this one in live mode. 
Now, little Richard's technical director came to brief me. I was scared shitless, hoping he didn't have anything complicated to ask me. He just said this. This is the first song that Richard will play, and this is the last one. In between that, I haven't a clue. He does what he wants. Rock and roll, man. Have fun. Phew! What a relief! And how cool was that guy? I mean, this is little Richard's technical director. Can you name me another job where you can get that kind of a buzz doing what you love? Of course, it's not all fun and games. I remember a folk show in Spain once when the whole FOH light section went down during the show. For those who don't know, FOH means front of house. In other words, I lost everything that was lighting up the band. All that was left was color effects behind the band. Try to explain that to the head electric while the show is going on and my Spanish was not very good at the time. Well, we finally got it sorted out. It was just a blown fuse. And after the show, I was talking with the lead singer of the band and uh, he said, yeah, I kind of realized something was wrong when I saw you running around. I said, man, if you saw me, there was definitely a problem because you're supposed to be blinded by the light. Uh, I could go on forever blabbing about all the funky things that have happened to me over the years, but I want to try and keep it short. Besides, many of these stories will inevitably pop up on future episodes. So, it's about time to wrap it up, I guess. Special thanks to AVL Media Group and Avolites, who make, in my opinion, the best lighting consoles in the world. Now, I hear you saying, yeah, that's easy for you to say, you work for the distributor. Well, let me break that myth right now. I am not promoting Avolites because I work for the distributor. It's the other way around. I work for the distributor because I want to promote Avolites. I remember when Chris Pegg from Westbury National first introduced me to these amazing consoles. I was very excited, but this sad at the same time because my employer at the time was not in a position to acquire more lighting consoles. Now that I have the opportunity to shout it out, you can be sure I'll be busting your ears with Avolites on every podcast episode. Furthermore, anybody out there wanting to test drive an Avolites console or get free training, you can contact me at any time via BackstageCowboys.com. I answer to every email in person almost instantly. As I always say, we are in show business, there's no bad time to reach me. Thank you for listening to the Backstage Cowboys podcast. This is Claude Vien returning you to whatever you were doing before tuning in. Uh, is the band ready? Okay, stand by and go.